So this will be an interesting experiment because Caroline is awake and up and about, whereas in the past we've done this when she's been asleep. So. Yeah. But I, I feel like it'll be okay. I don't think what little noise she will do in the background will be a problem. No, these mics are pretty good about noise canceling and stuff like that. So She seems pretty proud of herself that she's getting to basically do whatever she wants. Oh, did you see her eyes <laughs> light like, up? She's like, so I can do whatever I want. But I told her, I was like, when you're picking a snack, I was like, you can't pick candy. Right. I told her, I said, this is a real opportunity for you to show us how responsible you can be. And she's like, all right, mom, I got this. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're, what, three weeks in? Three and a half weeks into more or less being quarantined. Yeah. It's been quite the experience. It was three weeks on Wednesday. Yeah. All of us here in the house trying to do the homeschool thing. And my school thing. Yeah, your online stuff. And your work thing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have been saying like, oh, it must be nice to have, have a break. I'm, no. This I, is not a break. I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm editing harder than I, than I ever have. Although, there, I have made some changes. And it's really not related to the pandemic so much as just recognizing that I need to control my own stress and, and get into more of a cadence where in the past I was in a sprint, you yeah, know, always, always in a sprint, adrenaline high 24 seven. And what was unfortunate about that is that I didn't really have a clearly defined finish line that I was sprinting <laughs> towards. <laughs> and, you know, what has it been two years of full time yeah. um, YouTube? Uh-huh. And uh, finally realized, okay. <laughs> Two years, April 1st. Hey, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So, uh, yeah, I definitely find a, a better cadence now. I've taken two Sundays off in a row now. Yeah, that's huge. Of no editing or, you know, other business and your stuff like that. Your first one was a little rough. You, yeah. you had bug eyes every once in a while. Oh, yeah. But your second one... You seemed like you liked it. I did. So tomorrow we'll see how you like your third one. Oh, yeah. So I think the key is I've been taking the hammock out to our little bunch of trees, like the only trees. <laughs> our only cluster of trees. <laughs> and just spending, you know, a couple hours out there reading or not doing anything, just watching the clouds and listening to the birds. And it's been an interesting time, very introspective and recentering. And Yeah. Yeah. So yeah you spend hours out there. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you're just going out for 30 minutes. You've done two to four hours. That's it. And, and you know, the main thing is to not be on your phone because when you're on your phone, you drift. You know, uh -huh. you're either mindlessly scrolling or, oh, I had this idea, so now you're working on something. And so the key is to just truly unplug. And I think it's important for, for all of us to do that. So, yeah, that's been great. And then the other thing is just refocusing on my health. You mm -hmm. know, that's been at the bottom of my priority list for quite some time now and to get out and just run. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't, I haven't gotten into the P90X like I told myself I was going to do, but to just get out and run and with every evolution, I can go in a little bit further and my stamina is a little bit higher. Right. So long as I don't push it too hard and get, you know, all the old man <laughs> aches and pains, aches and in, pains my, and... in my ankles, you know, proper warmups important. But what's funny is when I started this, my, you know, I have that Samsung watch, watch. and um, I would go for a run and I would come back and it would pop up and go, that was a great walk. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm like, what a slap to the are face. You, are you serious? <laughs> so, so last night, I think that was probably like my eighth or ninth run or something like that. Uh-huh. And my best one yet. Um, I came in and I sat down and my phone or my watch buzzed and I looked down and it says, that was a great run. I'm like, finally. Finally, it says run. Finally, I'm there. You made it. All right. So <laughs> I have achieved the new status. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's definitely been, uh, been quite, quite the improvement. Um, it, it's been stressful several years and, and to finally get to this point and go, you know what? Let's... Let's focus on health just a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you've been uh, you've been getting after it yourself. Yeah, I uh, just started with some simple just walking, and then I was like, uh, I feel like I want to do a little extra, so I did like walking in like some super easy yoga things. Like right. you can get pretty extreme into yoga, and that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I basically didn't want to jump up and down right. at the time, um, and then decided to kind of up it and do this like seven, seven day challenge. And so, um, I finished that and I was feeling pretty proud of myself. And so now I'm doing, cause we have that beach body on demand app. Right. And so now I'm doing 28 day fix and today will be day 11. Right. So pretty That's proud. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Feels good. Like it's almost like my reward at the end of the day, mm-hmm. which that's probably going to have to change. Uh, once it starts getting hotter right. into the summer months, but like, you know, our routine has been, we get up, we all have breakfast together. Me and Caroline do school. And then after one o'clock, you know, Caroline is yours right. and I go in our room and do my schoolwork from one to five. Um, and then after five, like me and Caroline put on our shoes and mm-hmm. we go walk yeah. and then I do the 30 minute video and then it's clean up dinner, get ready for bed. Yeah. You guys saw something interesting on your walk the other day. Yeah, it's getting warm enough now, and mm-hmm. we came across a baby snake. What kind? I'm I'm pretty sure it's a rattlesnake. Yeah. Like, I'm not a snake connoisseur, and I don't care to be a snake connoisseur, because I, <laughs> I hate snakes. Right. Like, ugh. Mm-hmm. But, like, when I saw that, like, the pit of my stomach was like, you know that's a rattlesnake, Sarah. You yeah. know that's a baby rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. So how long was it? Um, it was probably this long. So it wasn't really like baby. I would call that almost preteen. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening, because this is a podcast series. That's probably what, 16 and Yeah, about 16, 16 or 18 inches. inches yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. Light brown, dark brown, kind of triangular head. And like I kept looking at the tail mm-hmm. to like make sure I thought it was. And it had this tiny little sliver of a dark brown tip. So that's why I was like, I think that's the beginning of your shaker. Your shaker? Yeah. <laughs> Those shaker snakes. That, that money maker. <laughs> uh, well, I went running through there last night and I was in such a good cadence, you know, where the grass is a little bit high. Yeah. And I was high knees, high knees. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what's funny is since then, like, I'm like, I- I'll keep walking around the house. But once we get there, Caroline instantly is like... <laughs> Right, right next to me and or right behind me. And like, our, we slow down a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we just shouldn't go back there. Yeah. I've never really been, I mean, I've had encounters with snakes, but I've, I've never been deathly afraid of them. And what's funny is like, you know, I grew up with my papaw being just, you know, his, his saying was the only good snake is a dead snake. He didn't care. He would kill any, anything he came across. Right. And, you know, just kind of an old school way of thinking and, 
I, re- I remember, you know, being a, a kid and, uh, we used to live behind my grandparents and the, there was a workshop kind of halfway between the houses oh. and, <laughs> and me and my dad were out on the porch and we hear this awfulest racket down in the workshop. I mean, tools crashing and doors slamming and beating and hollering and stuff. And all of a sudden here goes Papa running out the door of the shop to his house. And me and my dad look at each other. I was probably about six or seven or something like that. And here, here goes Papa running back into the shop <laughs> with a shotgun. <laughs> and my dad goes, well, surely he's not going to kawoom. Oh, my gosh. He, uh, he this blew, is the best. He blew a, a hole in the floor <laughs> to kill the snake. And so we went down there and he's like, Papa, what's going on? He says, well... You know, you ever get that feeling when something's watching you? Uh. He says, I walked in the door and I turned around and right over the door was this big old rat snake looking me eye to eye about eight inches away from me. And and those are long black ones, right? The rat snakes? Uh, they, they can be like gray mottled kind of okay. color. And so he grabbed the nearest two by four and started swinging. And it fell down behind the tool, the, the workbench. Mm-hmm. And so he was sliding toolboxes around trying to find it. And whenever he'd find it, he'd take that two before and slam it in there to, to kill it. it yeah. But what he what he was hitting it so hard that he was blowing boards off the back of the workshop. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he literally tore uh, that workshop apart trying to take out this snake. So, yeah, there's all kinds of stories about Papaw and, and snakes. But personally, I I don't know. I Like I said, I've had plenty of encounters with them, but... I'm not definitely See, afraid I've of not, them. See, I've not. I've not really ever thought to be like super snake aware. Yeah. You know, even though we grew up on a farm, you know, there would be times where every now and again, like when you were getting hay or whatever, you'd find those tiny little grass snakes mm-hmm. in the hay bales, you mm-hmm. know? Little garden, garden, yeah, gardener snakes. I mean, they're dead, but, you know, like we had copperheads and things like that. And I just, I don't know that I've ever seen one in person. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then once we moved out here, you see all kinds of bull whips all over the road. Coach whips, yeah. Coach whips, yeah. Uh-huh. All over the road and um, King snakes. King and snakes stuff like that. and uh rattlers, yeah. Yeah. And out of all the out of all the poison snakes, I'd rather deal with a rattler than anything else because generally they'll let you know. Yeah. They're irritated. We've seen some pretty good sized ones mm-hmm. um over the years. But my dad almost got struck by a small one. Yeah. See that and that's my thing is when I saw that small one, I was like, oh, because they'll like, they'll just keep going. They don't know better than to just, yeah, that they only need to snap once. Yeah. They, you know? They, and that's exactly what happened is, you know, my dad and I, we were, we were duck hunting and this was in December and it would just had warmed up a little bit and we were walking past this tall stand of grass and I was behind him and, and from out of nowhere came this head and it was within two inches of his calf, just and it and it struck about three times before we could even walk past it. It just boom, 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 and then it started rattling. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so it there's must have been cold. It it could have been that, but they also are saying that with you know all the wild pig problems and stuff that the rattlers that in, their genetic instinct is to rattle first are getting eaten, and the ones that haven't been trained or something and the ones that are genetically inclined to not rattle as much are surviving and so oh, those are the genes that are propagating and so they're not rattling as much anymore that's not okay no it's not okay 
So shake what your mama gave you, rattlesnakes. Please. Let us know. Help a sister out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So why don't you read them our lovely intro? Let's do that. I'm ready. Welcome travelers, overlanders, weekend warriors, and fellow quarantinees to Campfire Confessions. We're your hosts, Kevin and Sarah of Lifestyle Overland, a husband and wife duo who travels North America and beyond with our daughter, Caroline. This podcast is about us, our travels, our stories, and lessons learned while living a lifestyle a bit outside the ordinary. So go ahead and pour your favorite beverage, pull up a camp chair, and join us as we stoke up this campfire for a bit of warmth and ambiance. <laughs> That's so sexy. Well, thank you. <laughs> oh, much better. There we go. Yeah. She's roaring now. We want to take a moment to thank the sponsors of this show. That's right. These are the folks who keep the wind in our sails, our patrons. These fine folks are listeners, subscribers, and followers like yourself who keep the fuel coming and the adventure rolling. So thank you all who contribute to this adventure. So this podcast is going to be just a little bit controversial a little bit deeper than a little bit deeper than mm-hmm. than what we've done in the past and the thing is is it's it's very timely yeah but i guess i want to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we really get into it is we we don't want to come across insensitive right to the situation to what's going on and the impact that this covid-19 is having to us worldwide Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here to our listeners. So, um, but I also want to warn you that while it is a timely discussion, it can be hard to swallow, um, for some folks. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to say that this is just us having discussion about our experiences right. and, and lessons that, that we've learned. And, um, I think that it could be beneficial for, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The big thing that could come out of this is that it could be the lifestyle change that you need. Right. That you might have already been looking for. Exactly. And this is a time and opportunity for you to really actually mull it over, consider it, visualize it. Right. This could be a pivot point for someone who um, has had their eyes open. You know, maybe you've lost your job. Um, maybe you know, you're in a terrible financial situation now. Um, maybe you've been working so hard to get to a point to where you could adventure more and now you're wondering how, mm-hmm. how in the world is that, is that going to happen kind of thing. Um, so we just kind of want to hit that whole situation on the head and this, this dovetails nicely into a question that we get very frequently and that is, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we do this full time? You know, mm-hmm. the YouTube thing and the travel thing and stuff like that. Right. And this might be your opportunity to put yourself on a path to adventure more mm-hmm. in the future. Right. If there was to be one successful outcome for anyone listening to this podcast, I think it would be at the end, they walk away having the permission to define their own life expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. So yeah, let's just dive into this. Let's do it. So if the title of this podcast haven't, hasn't given it away yet, we're talking about minimalism. Yes. And just as I said that word, you probably <laughs> conjured up something in your mind that you think minimalism is all about. Um, the word itself lends to thinking that, you know, there's a stark white room with one chair, one lamp, one book. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of Instagram worthy photos and stuff that 
our hashtag to <laughs> that are hashtag to yeah. that perception. But we we feel that it's probably best called intentionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the core of it, it's it's not about depriving yourself. Right. It's not about self-abasement or, you know, look at me, how little I'm living with. It's about refocusing the majority of your funds mm-hmm. and your time to and your, your passions and your yeah. attention to the things that you truly Value. enjoy. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, at its core, it's it's about trading in some social expectations. That we've grown up with or have instilled in us or assumed. Or assumed or, or we see on Instagram right. or, or social media or our friends and neighbors and family living these particular lifestyles. And maybe even subconsciously, we, we've used, we've created a measuring stick as to what life is supposed to look like and the mm-hmm. things that you're supposed to have. And, and if you have this, then you're, you've made it or, mm-hmm. you know, you're successful kind of thing. And so that's really what it comes down to is kind of breaking that apart and calling each expectation for what it is. Right. And determining if that's truly something that you right. have assigned to yourself with the right motivation. Right. So the road to get to this point for me personally, took a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, like my background, I, I remember my first job was I started mowing yards. There was there was some condominiums up the up the road from where I was living. And so I would mow those things once, sometimes twice a week. And I mean it was a good two and a half hour, three hour evolution, you know. Yeah. Uh, just push mowing and, and weed eating and stuff like that and for 40 bucks. And that was the first time where I was making your own my money. own income. And, you know, my my family, we were, I would say we were middle class, like just cookie cutter middle class. My dad was a lineman for the utility. Um, he worked a ton of hours, especially when, you know, the weather was bad. Right. Very, very dangerous job for for decent money. You know, mm-hmm. not not anything, not anything crazy. We never wanted for a need. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, we always had clothes on our backs. We always had food. We did not have new cars. Right. Um, we but did, you had a nice home. Well, we had a nice home because my dad built it himself. Oh, that's right. My dad would go to work for eight to ten hours, and then he would he, then he would work from you know like five in the afternoon, sometimes until midnight, one o'clock building this house with his own hands because his background, you know, he was a carpenter before he became a lineman. And so, you know, from an early age, I was taught both from my dad and my granddad that if you wanted something, you had to work for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. I mean, the only time I got toys was Christmas. Birthday and Christmas. That's it. Yep. Um, And honestly, I I did have grandparents that like to spool me every now and then. So I would (laughs) would coerce them into buying me a Lego from time to time. Mm -hmm. Or baseball cards. Or Oh, yeah. I still got all I've those heard baseball. those stories. <laughs> I've still got all those baseball <laughs> cards. It wasn't, uh, we, we weren't living high on the hog. You know, it was, you know, we gardened. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the food we raised ourselves. We well, had you had a cattle. stay-at-home mom my mom's, for a majority of the time. Yeah, my mom. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom. She homeschooled five of us kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, there was not a lot to go around. And so if I wanted something outside the ordinary, right, I had to go and, and work for it. And so... You know, one lawn turned into a few more yards, and, and before you knew it, I was I was making some pretty good money as a fourteen year old. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny how those first experiences really start to 
develop your mindset. What was interesting is I was probably, a, you know, the weird kid that saved more money than most kids would. Right. Um, but I definitely quickly fell into the trap that with the more that I made, the more that I spent. Okay. Exponentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that I can remember that from early from early on. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I began wiring houses with my dad part-time and kind of created our own little business there for a bit and then decided, hey, the residential side of stuff is cool, but why don't I expand my knowledge of the electrical industry? And so I went and joined the, the IBEW. It's International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, mm-hmm. the, the union, and uh, served my five-year apprenticeship right. in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And that, and that was one heck of an experience because – I don't know if you're familiar with Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but some of the facilities and stuff that are in that area have some very uh, interesting government projects and stuff that go on Mm -hmm. inside there. So I got to see a lot of very interesting things. Um, I should say work on a lot of very interesting projects (laughs) and things like that. So I spent five years in that apprenticeship program and turns out I really enjoyed it. And like a couple weeks after I topped out or became a journeyman wireman, they made me foreman mm-hmm. over one of the projects. I remember. And uh, yeah, we were married. We we had only been married what a couple three months at that point. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was that was really exciting. You know, a little bit a little bit of a bump in pay at that point, and working crazy hours again. You yeah. know, seven days a week, twelve hours a day. Sometimes on night shift. I mean, it was it was pretty pretty brutal at that point. But they called me in the office and they said, "Would you like to?" become an estimator would you like to start you know working on on these projects that we have coming up and put together the bids and things like that and I was like absolutely you know I wanted to learn all that I possibly could mm-hmm. and within just a few months of doing that I went from estimating the projects to once we won the bids hey would you like to manage this project so right. then I was doing the procurement and I was going out and checking on them and before you knew it, I was a project manager. And so it was a lot of hard work. And I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't without a few strokes of luck to get in those positions and stuff. Right. But, uh, you know, I But quickly... you were open to the possibilities of that. Right. You know, like sometimes some people could be presented this option and they're like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Sure. You know, like sometimes some people don't want to learn new things. Sure. Or they don't think that they'd be worth it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think having the attitude of, yeah, sure, I'll give it a try, <laughs> really can propel people into forward motion. Well, and I think that, you know, coming at it from the ground up, you know, I had a confidence, you know, from a nut and bolt standpoint all the way up to, you know, how to deal with people and things like that. And so, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily false confidence it was something that I knew inside and out and mm-hmm. so it was just looking at it from a different perspective at that point so, right so yeah that's how I you know quickly went up the chain and became a project manager but the catch was <laughs> the uh the company that I was working for you know after I had proven myself and I'd been in there for over a year was still paying me foreman wages yep after you know a few promises that were that were made and broken and and I quickly found out, hmm, might be being taken advantage here. Yeah. And so um, I heard rumors of a job in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. 
And they were, and, and that was the thing is like, we'd always lived in East Tennessee. Yep. Matter of fact, Never same left. small city. My parents, their parents, their parents' parents, like always lived in this small town in East Tennessee. So it wasn't really even on the radar to move to New Mexico. To New Mexico, much you know, much less even just a few hours down the road. That I had to look on a map where exactly <laughs> New Mexico was. Is that in the United States? <laughs> My grandmother kept saying Mexico. I'm oh, like, I know. No, no, no. Yeah, a lot of people thought we were south of the border. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it's the new part of Mexico. The new part. Yeah. Um, and so this opportunity came up in New Mexico and I'll never forget. It was, it was me and my good friend, Jason Husky. We went through the apprenticeship together. We sat side by side through five years of school together. We'd worked on a lot of the same jobs together and we were talking about it and we were like, why don't we just do yeah. it? Cause he's a good old East Tennessee boy too. And, and he looks at me and, and I look at him. I was like, let's go. And so we're like, well, all right then. And so from that point, we determined we were going to go to, to New Mexico. Now, it wasn't just an open door. We had to... You had a lot of hoops to jump through. There was a lot of hoops to jump through. We had to uh, we had to pass the New Mexico German Wireman uh, exactly. test, which mm-hmm. apparently, from what we understood, people in the state passed it a lot easier than those who were coming from out of state. Mm. Um, there might have been some politics involved there. And so we basically had to study our our butts off for several weeks to get ready for that exam. And we were the only two to pass it. So then it's like, okay, you've got your license, you're locked in, this is going to happen. Well, when I was headed out there, I was supposed to be going out just as a foreman. Mm -hmm. And then they called me up and they said, well, uh, you know, anybody, any project managers that'd be interested in going out there? And I go, yep. That's me. (laughs) Here's my my resume. Here's my resume. So (laughs) within a a real short amount of time, like it, it just, it just expanded from there. The the wait to get out there was frustrating, as with, you know, a lot of these big contracts and stuff are concerned. And this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but it's an, yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of indicative of, of the story. When I went when I quit my job at the previous company and, and went to be a project manager in preparation for New Mexico at the other company, um, there was a bit of a of a gap in time. And so they sent me out on a job. And so I get out there and we're. They're, they're installing controls in these massive water towers. I think they were, if I remember right, they were 240 or 260 feet tall, something like that. And they put me on the lightning protection. <laughs> and so... Um, you I know, don't I, think I remember this. Oh, yeah. And and I I was never afraid of heights, um, especially as I got older, because I was usually working when I was in the heights, and so I was distracted. And I'd been in I'd been in a hundred and twenty five foot boom lift before inside a high bay. Like I, I like I don't think they make them much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty experienced with heights. Well, on these water towers, the only way that you could install the lightning protection alongside of them was to get in this basket that basically had a winch mounted inside. It's called a spider basket, and it was tied to the top of the water tower. And you press a button, and it goes. And it takes you up the water tower. And so I'd been out there. It was wintertime. I was installing this lightning protection going, boy, did I make the wrong move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope this New Mexico thing pans out uh-huh. sooner than later, you know. And so um, I'm up there and I'm about 200 feet in the air and it's lunchtime. And so I went to hit the button and go down. 
And he goes, click, 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 click. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. The thing just quits. And so I'm looking down, and the wind had been picking up. That was the other reason why I was coming down as well. Everybody's inside because it's cold. And so I'm sitting there waiting, and finally I get my cell phone out, and I I call uh, my foreman. And I was like, hey. I'm stuck. (laughs) I'm just hanging out up here. (laughs) And come to find out they didn't have a backup. They didn't have a backup spider uh, basket. They didn't have a lift. They didn't have anything to get me down. And so I ended up having to just sit up there for about five hours while they went around the Knoxville area trying to find another spider basket to get it out there and get it tied to the the water tower. And then by this time, the wind's blowing about 30 miles an hour and I'm swinging back and forth on the side of this freaking water tower. Are you serious? This government facility. Oh, yeah. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> Maybe I didn't tell you the story. You may have not. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, they finally got up there, and here we are swinging back and forth, and the baskets are banging together, and so I have to unclip. <gasps> <laughs> so I unclip my lanyard, and we grab the baskets together, and I scramble in just as fast as I can. And I click in my my lanyard, and, and we come down, but. Um, when I got on the ground, the, uh, project, or the, I would have been like, I quit. <laughs> when I got on the ground, the, the general manager was there. Cause obviously it was kind of a safety issue for the company. Right. Yeah, I think so I get on the ground, I go, I'm ready to go to New Mexico right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but it eventually happened and we made yep. our way to New Mexico and you know, here we were, we've been married, what, a year and a half. Uh huh. So newlyweds. Yep. We had us a, um. 1,400 square foot home that we had bought. in When we first got married? Yeah, mm-hmm. in Knoxville. Um, yeah, we were kind of on our way to that, that typical trajectory. Typical life, yeah. Um, not and, and basically paycheck to paycheck at that point. Because mm-hmm, you know, I was still in college. You and... were, yeah, it was things were pretty tight. But uh, New Mexico really made a big difference right. when we got out here. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I came out here as a project manager on that job. And when that wrapped up, I went to work for the facility that we built, basically, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a work planner and then, again, as a field engineer under another contract. And so, you know, spent a lot of time out here building building this facility and made good money at it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, But the thing is, those same positions in areas that were desirable to live in would pay probably less than half oh, yeah. what they were paying to get people to come to this remote location in New mm-hmm. Mexico where there were no amenities and rent was unbelievably, unbelievably high. high. Cost of living was unbelievably high because of the oil field and stuff like yep. that. And so it had its trade-offs. It did. You know, we made some some pretty big sacrifices to leave family and friends and stuff to, to come out here. And start over, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that mindset kind of continued, though. The more that we made... The more that we spent, the more mm-hmm. we extended ourselves um, and congratulated ourselves for <laughs> for the advancements at that point. I oh, mean, yeah. At one point, I had a, uh, we bought a 2010 Camaro, Camaro SS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it literally on a whim. Um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty much a whim. Because let, well, let's, let's let everyone know that you're kind of, you're a habitual looker. Mm. You're always shopper, yeah. Looking. Yeah. Well, I feel like shopping implies purchasing. 
So yeah, window shopping. Yeah, Craigslist surfing. Yes. Yeah. You were always looking. That's right. Yeah. No doubt. Mm-hmm. And you saw that, and you're like, "Sarah, let's go look at it after work today." And I'm like, "Okay." Although to be fair, we got a screaming deal on we it. We got a screaming deal on Cause it because it'd been on the lot for like eight months. Nobody wanted it because it was a six speed yeah. stick. Yeah. Yeah. I really hate that we sold that thing. To be honest with you. Yeah, but you needed a truck. Yeah, because you lost the company truck. Yeah, when I moved so, jobs, I mm-hmm. lost the company truck. So, um, so you know, we we made the decision to go come to New Mexico, right? Um, because the idea was that we would come out for this much higher paycheck for a short amount of time, right? And just pack it away and save it, mm-hmm. and then we could come back to Tennessee and be in a much better position, position financially, financially. Yeah. so that we weren't in such a paycheck to paycheck situation, but. We kind of got caught up in this whirlwind and contracts got extended and other opportunities came up. And so it was very difficult to leave that. And we we created an amazing community of we friends did. that we were working with and people that we went to church with and, and things like that. And, yeah. and so we had kind of created our own little community. And so we were comfortable. Mm-hmm. And very you know, comfortable. the logic was as long as we could continue to make money, let's just stick with it and let's just keep going. But we continued to creep, and in our our footprint continued to creep. And before long, we had you know two car payments, and we yeah. had um, we were paying really high rent. And so we justified, well, let's go buy a house, so we're not throwing money away. Mm-hmm. And so we went and bought a really nice house, yeah, and put money into that. And yeah. before you knew it, even though when we were in Tennessee and we were you know, pretty happy and, and living paycheck to paycheck, but we had all the things we thought we needed. Yeah. We got to New Mexico and slipped right back into that on a much grander scale. Right. We weren't saving like we had intended to. And uh, when we came out, we were like, okay, we're going to work for six months, save like crazy and go back. But then we were like, Hey, we have money to spend now. Yeah. And we, we enjoyed that feeling. We did. We did. And, and we justified it and we said, well, we're probably never going to make this kind of money ever again. Let's We're enjoy young. ourselves. Yeah. And so we did. We, you know, we, we just partied hard <laughs> with that money. Yeah. And it continued to creep. Well, the problem is, is the stress never got any less. The stress got more. Yeah. With the more that we owned. Because with, you know, with the more. Going from renting to owning, you now have to mow your own yard. You now have to fix that own leaky faucet. Exactly. You know? <laughs> And we were also living in a very volatile real estate market because of the oil field. Right. And so there was always in the back of your mind, oh, goodness, because we'd heard horror stories of this area when the you know the oil bust would come mm-hmm. and people would sell houses for pennies on the dollar and stuff yep. like that. And so we knew we were running a bit of a high risk. Um, but it's what we wanted at the time. It is. You know. It is. And, and it wasn't without some logic. Like we bought a nice house with the intention that if we needed to sell it, it would be at the top of someone's list. Right. As opposed to buying an extremely cheap house that mm-hmm. would probably sit on the market longer and potentially lose more money if we needed to jettison it. Right. And so it wasn't without, um, it wasn't reckless, mm-hmm. but it was risky. Yeah. And it was way more than we needed. Yes. And so I go through this background to kind of paint this picture for you of how easy it is to start out with the best of intentions mm-hmm. and then with each advancement creep your lifestyle and your budget to the point where it's always stretched tight. And if we had played a little bit different tune, 
we would have been in a much different situation. So here's what happened next. Right. The oil field crashed. It started to. It and we started saw to. It. Yeah. Because we got to see it before the rest of the country did because we were in the middle of it. So so in New Mexico, it, you know, if you're driving around Hobbs, New Mexico area, it's basically West Texas. Mm-hmm. It's oil field country. Um, just all kinds of laydown yards, all kinds of oil field truck traffic. Like you feel the buzz. Yes. You know, it's like being in New York City. You feel the buzz of the people and the energy and stuff that's going on. And it was almost overnight. Yeah. Someone flipped a switch. Yeah. And you started seeing businesses going up for sale. You started mm-hmm. seeing trucks getting parked at the laydown yards. Yep. You started seeing less and less traffic on the road. And I went, it's time to go. Well, we also had friends whose spouses worked in the oil field. Right. And were telling us, whoop, here we go again. Yeah. Everybody buckle up. Yeah. But that was that was their cultural norm right. out here. But for us, we're like, oh, hang exactly. on. <laughs> and so, you know, I... I quickly said, all right, it's time It's time to sell the house. I still had about, what was it? Seven five, or eight months. Yeah, just a few months left on my contract. Yeah. And so um, we decided, well, shoot, let's sell this thing. Let's rent a place, finish the contract. And then we'll... Try and save and scrimp and save right. this last little hurrah. Uh-huh. And then head back to Tennessee and, and whatever. Yeah. And uh, so put the house up for sale on Facebook. We sold it ourselves. Sold it within 30 days. Yeah. Sold it ourselves. And uh, basically bro- broke even, came out smelling like a rose for this, what we felt, you know, was yes. for the situation. Right. And so the, the next thing was, okay, where are we going to stay while we finish out this short little contract? Mm-hmm. So at this point, we've got, what, two-year-old Caroline? She wasn't two quite yet. Oh, yeah. She was probably only one and one, a half yep. ish. Yeah. And so at that point, uh, we were trying to decide where we were going to live. Yeah. And I was like, well, we need a, you know, in my mind, I was still like trying to maintain what I was giving up because I'll be honest, I loved that house. Yeah. And there are times where I still kind of miss that house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, well, we need a yard. She needs her own room. You know, we still should have a room so that if family wants to come and visit us before we move, you know, I was still, I was still trying to keep up with what was my social norm. Yeah. We were definitely the Joneses at that point. We, we were, yeah. We had the 2000 square foot home. We had the granite countertops. We had two new vehicles. Yep. We had the garage. I mean, the dog, the, the cute kid, the, the big like, backyard, <laughs> yeah. and eating steak a couple times a week. Yep. No joke. I mean, like, oh, yeah. we, we were, we were comfortable. We were very comfortable at that point. But again, the stress and the underlying risk was so high that it was, it wasn't a good trade off necessarily. Right. Because we didn't know what we were going to do next. We hadn't decided if we wanted to go back to Tennessee. We hadn't talked about if we were going to stay there and you were going to try and transition somewhere else. But if the oil field was going down, that's really the only other job you could have switched to. Sure. So we were like, oh, well, we're going to have to go to Tennessee or we're going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah. So I was talking to my coworker about the situation. And I said, hey, I'm I'm selling my house. I'm getting out of this. I don't want to get stuck. You know, like these horror stories that I've heard. And uh, have you heard of any good places to rent? And yeah. he goes, well, I've got a fifth wheel camper that we're not using. You guys want to borrow it for a few months? <laughs> and I just kind of laughed because 
I already knew Sarah's opinion of mm-hmm. uh, uh, camper life. Yeah. And uh, it, I was never going to live in a home with wheels. That's that was her words exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, for the whole time we were married, like yeah, that was. A pre, I don't know why. Pre- I, I I I knew. <laughs> Yeah. He had these inklings. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just kind of laughed and I said, well, hey, you know, we're going to dinner this Friday night. Why don't you bring it up and see what Sarah says? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was still like, because rent was really high. Like, let's like for a two bedroom, it was what? Um, Fifteen hundred? For a two. Fourteen? No, for a two bedroom, it was fifteen hundred a month without utilities. Without utilities. Yeah. And then a three bedroom was seventeen fifty. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in my mind, I was like, it's still going to be worth it. I still need to have a nice home. Like I want to have my friends over. Caroline needs these things. Right. Da, 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 da. Right. So we go out to dinner. Yeah. And we're all talking. And our friend. Our good friend Wayne. Yeah. Says, <laughs> well, why don't you guys take our camper? You know that it's better for them to be constantly used rather than sitting empty. And it's just sitting empty right now. I looked him square in the face and I said, no, sir. <laughs> I think you use a different word, but. I did. <laughs> but I, I, and I looked at Kevin and he kind of laughed and I was like, you knew this was coming. You guys have talked about this. He's like, well, yeah, you really ought to consider it. And Wayne and his family, he has three kids mm-hmm. and at one point in time, they all lived in that camper yep. for uh, multiple years. Multiple years, yeah. And I was just like, I have one tiny little kid. I ain't even doing that. Right. No, I'm not living in a house with wheels. You will always have me on a permanent foundation. Yeah. Well, and then his, his wife, you know, basically shared her experiences with you at that point. Yeah. And yeah. like, she genuinely, like, she's like, yeah, it has its troubles and it's mm-hmm. hard things she's like but it was totally worth it in the long run and i'm like i don't care that is not <laughs> what i'm going to do yeah so i am not telling my friends that i'm living in a fifth wheel camper yeah so i just i, I knew what the conversation was but it, I, I knew someone else had to bring the subject up with you at least yeah to see how you would respond and uh because in, in our history of life if someone else brings it up it happens when we talk to someone else or someone else says something that, hey, well, why don't you do this thing? It happens. For example. This, Wayne. Uh-huh. Hey, why don't you guys live in my camper? Right. If you had just said it, I would have fought you and we would have ended up <laughs> paying a crap ton of rent. Uh-huh. Um, and then when uh, Jason, 12 Runner, said, well, why don't you make Lifestyle Overland? Mm-hmm. Your full-time business. Right. The second he said that, I was like, oh, no. That's going to happen now. Right. That's interesting. It's true. Yeah. So when we left that dinner, what was your mindset? I don't think we really talked much about it. Because I knew I wasn't going to push you into it. Right. It had to be like your own decision. Yeah. I can be stubborn, but I'm also a pragmatist. Pragmatist? pragmatist i'm very practical right like uh, sometimes almost a little bit to a fault Mm -hmm. um and so when at one point in time you know we were packing moving things out into our storage unit you know we kept talking about well where are we gonna go where are we gonna go and um we kept talking about the money Mm -hmm. and i was like i can't pay this much rent 
I can't let us pay this much rent when we have had a fifth wheel offered to us for free. And another friend say, come park it on my property and you can live there rent free. Right. Just mow the yard and haul off my trash. Yeah, and pay for electricity. And pay for electricity. Right. So I was like, you know what? And my motto had been since we had moved from Tennessee to New Mexico was, I can do anything for a little while. Sure. Because when we had moved, we had agreed we were only moving for six months. That's right. Seven years later. (laughs) Now I can't imagine moving back to Tennessee. Anyway, uh, so I was like, all right, Sarah, you can live tiny and in a fifth wheel camper for a little while. And your contract only had six more months. Yeah, maybe less than that. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I can do anything for six months. Really, truthfully, you can. Yeah, absolutely. You can do anything for six months. Mm-hmm. So w- after talking for a while, I was like, okay, tell them we'll do it. And you were always pretty confident, not confident, but you were always very good to say, if it doesn't work for us, Sarah, we will move into something else. Absolutely. Well, Like, it wasn't like we had to make it work no matter what, because financially we could have afforded, but we wouldn't have saved. Yeah. And, and we would have gone back to Tennessee for, with far less than we had inti- in, intentionally planned or right. originally planned. Um, and so you came to me and you said, Hey, I think we need to do this Yeah, just for a little while. And I said, okay, you by yourself, go up to Wayne and Missy's house and you look at that thing by yourself and make your decision on on whether or not you can live in it. Because you're going to be the one that's there. I mean, you were yeah, cause I was a stay-at-home stay at home mom. So you're going to have to make sure that you're going to be able to stay in this confined space with Caroline, you know, Caroline at that point. Mm-hmm. At what point did you decide, okay, maybe this won't be so bad? Uh, Well, I, I did go up there by myself, and I took a ton of pictures and showed videos. And I think I even called my mom. And was like, did you see all the pictures that I sent? And, you know, she was looking at it. She's like, you know, Caroline is so small. You can put her crib right there in the living room. You guys will be up in your room. Like, yeah, some things will be different. You know, you can't go snacking through the fridge or the <laughs> kitchen because <laughs> Caroline's right there. Right. You know, she's like, but you can do anything for a little while. Remember your motto. And I was right. like, okay. Yeah. You know, if I think I felt like if other people believed I could actually do it, then... I think I felt more confident in my decision, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I think it was just at the point where I start, like, I'm, I'm a visual person. And so, you know, you telling me what it looked like, or even kind of looking at pictures, I couldn't grasp what spatially that felt like. Right. Um, and so I do remember, um, being a little concerned about like up in the bedroom, mm-hmm. how the ceilings were so low. Sure. I was like, I can't even stretch my arms over my head. Right. Like, and at the time I was working out pretty intensely. So I was like, I like, if Caroline was napping down in her room, like there's no way I could even work out up here. You know, like mm-hmm. there were some things, but at the same time, it was just one of those things where I was like, I can do anything for a little while. Right. I can do anything for a little while. So I also, we also had told each other that after this was done, we would buy another house. Right. So I was like, I can live tiny for six months knowing my stuff is in storage and I'm going to get a pretty house again. And little did we know <laughs> <laughs> that was a step off to the deep end just a yes. bit. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the whole idea behind this is that leading up to this minimalist lifestyle, it, it was completely unintentional. Yeah. 
we were doing this temporarily mm-hmm. and then we stepped into it and then we found out, hey, wow, okay, this isn't so this bad. This isn't as bad. It's not as bad as we thought it would be. I mean, I could clean the entire camper in 30 minutes and that literally means like wiping down the walls, you guys. Oh, yeah. You know, like I could vacuum the entire place from one outlet. Right. You know, like... Zeke was out, the dog was outside at the time, you know, mm-hmm. like you had made a nice little fenced in area. So even, you know, me and Caroline could go out and play in the little yard that we had. Put and out the little uh, Lowe's AstroTurf rolls. Yeah. And, and we had, had a little, little kiddie pool. And, right. Yeah. I mean, we we made it comfortable yeah. and home. Yeah. We, we were the people at that point we made fun of in Tennessee. Yes. And it was really a, an eye-opening thing at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, we always made jokes about... Trailer, trailer parks wide. in Tennessee and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. we realized that it's not that it's bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. Because what we realized at that point was, wow, look at how much we're not spending on utilities mm-hmm. and rent and all these other things. How much time I was spending cleaning yeah, a and, giant house. And not having to mow the yard. That was only for three people. Exactly. And so now... The stress level of not having a mortgage to make sure you're covering and, and all this other stuff was reduced significantly. Mm-hmm. And I guess you I guess you could make the argument that this next step was a bit of lifestyle creep in a way. But what we said was, hey, if we have these extra funds, why don't we invest in this camping stuff that we've been doing? Mm-hmm. Get out of this tiny enclosure from time to time. Go out and have some fun right. and do it in a super comfortable way. And so, you know, we had been looking at at the turtleback trailers for a while mm-hmm. at that point. And we were like, hey. And and what really got it was when Turtleback started offering financing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to like pay a big old chunk down. And it was like, why don't we why don't we do do this and be intentional about our family time and be intentional about getting out and having these adventures. If we have the trailer and everything's loaded, we're not pulling boxes. and Yeah, because I think that was one of my arguments too is I was like, dude, we can't keep camping with this tiny camper. Because by the time I got totes out and was packing totes up and everything, it filled up the entire place and there's nowhere for Caroline to play. And then she was pulling stuff out of the boxes. (laughs) We look like the clampets with everything on the roof of the Forerunner. And and then I think the probably the the turning point was when I forgot the uh, air mattress the one night. Yeah, for Caroline's birthday camp out weekend. And so that's that's definitely when when we get the, the ideas flowing to say, well... With a rooftop tent, you can't forget the mattress. <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we shift things a bit and mix things up? If we've got, you know, five or six months left here in New Mexico, and and go and just adventure and have mm-hmm. some have some incredible times. And that was when I was actually planning the Enchanted Rockies Trail. I yep. was mapping all that stuff out to go and and do these things. And so, and so we unintentionally made this pivot, and we bought the Turtleback Trailer. And we started going, and it mm-hmm. was like every other weekend, if, oh, it was. if not more yeah, than that. Right. And it was so easy. It was so convenient. It was so comfortable. It literally started changing our lives. Well, at that point, my contract got extended again Yeah, for like 12 months. Yep. And I think that's when I moved over to uh, field, field engineering. Engineer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we seriously considered not taking it. Sure. Remember? 
you know, we were like, no, we said we were only going to do this for six more months and then we were going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And so we, we really went back and forth on that. We really did. Cause you know, it's, it was high stress right. for sure. And sometimes a lot of hours and stuff like that. And, you know, we talked about trying to reduce some of the stress in her life and, and things like that. But again, the money was, was good. The money was good. And it was but familiar. We, it was familiar. It, you know, this is where Caroline was born. This is what we where we considered home. This is where our church was. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like, yeah, I want to stay one more year. Right. We can do anything for one more year. Well, but then the conversation <laughs> came up. Do we keep staying in this? Do we buy our own? Or do we go and rent yeah, something? I think we were headed headed down the road of renting something once the, the contract started coming up. But then we were like, no, wait a minute. We decided that if we live below our means, we'll have this excess. And not that we should use all of it, but we have this excess to go and do something that we really enjoy right. together. Mm-hmm. And it was literally like within the next day, someone I was working with who was leaving the job he was unable to sell his camper. Mm-hmm. And I think he was leaving like in two days. Yeah. And I said, all right, Charlie, what, what do you want for this thing? And so I went and looked at it and it was a, it was a nice unit. It was decently kept. And, uh, he just, he gave me a low ball offer uh, because yeah. he was going to pay, I think like $2,000 just to get it moved back. Cause he'd already sold his truck and everything. Yeah. And so we made just a swinging deal. And so, um, Got him a check. He moved back to Alabama, and we took that thing and we parked it at our at our friend Billy and Trina's house so that we could start, you know, renovating it. Before well, we, we had moved looked at it. new ones because I was like, I want something that looks nicer and newer and hipper and chicer if we're gonna keep living small, right? Remember? Yeah. And so you're like, well, what if we bought his and then renovated ourselves? Right. Like put in new floors, paint. Yada, yada, yada. And we would be in it for a quarter of what we would spend yes, for a new one. for a new one. For, so, for a good new one. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, we basically said, well, shoot, let's get into this thing for next to nothing. Put a little bit into it mm-hmm. and make it our own. And so we did. And, yeah. oh, my gosh. Like, on paper, you go, well, I'm saving so much money. <laughs> then you look at how many hours you put into it, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We yeah. How much, did I, how much did I really that. pay? Yeah. But anyhow, that was that was our decision and that's how we got into the into the camper. Camper life. But at that point, when it was our own, it was something we had built ourselves, we'd renovated ourselves, and it was laid out the way that we wanted it, like that was home. Yeah. It and, sure was. And we were just as happy as we could be mm-hmm. living in that thing. And that's really when things started to shift. That we were like, we we actually like this. <laughs> we can do this. Exactly. And we started looking at life a little bit Well, and we realized we weren't going back to the storage unit to get anything. Well, yeah, that's the other side of it is, you know, pe- people say, how, how can you move from a house into a, a small 300 square foot RV? Like how it, it blows your mind. And it used to blow my mind. Oh yeah. Until we actually did it. And all that ex- excess went into a storage container, 40-foot storage container. And so what we found was that we rarely ever went to the storage unit. Like, mm-hmm. we weren't missing anything. We had our necessities, and that was it. And if we if we wanted to do something fun, we were out. We yeah. were gone. We were hitting the trails. We were camping. We were... Hanging out with friends or, yeah. And what we had done previously was when we had a nice house, we found we were laying on the couch, and we were watching sports, and we were having cookouts, and... 
you know, we weren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if that's what you enjoy. And we enjoyed it. Yeah. But when you have that nice environment, it makes it harder to feel motivated to go sleep in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when you're inside a small enclosure, the weekend comes, it's like, yeah, let's, let's get out. Let's go. So in its own way, it's motivating you to let's go vacation, to move and get out and do some stuff. So, so that's how we unintentionally slid into this minimalist lifestyle. And over the course of time, that storage unit had less and less and less in it as mm-hmm. we just yard sold it and got rid of it. And we're actually at the point right now where we need to do it again. again. So that's how we got to this point in our lives of realizing we didn't need all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of that lifestyle creep, if I make this much money, then I need to have this nicer car. And if I make this much money, I need to have this bigger house. And we said, no, we don't have to do that. Right. What do we really want to do? Mm-hmm. What do we really want to enjoy? Mm-hmm. We want to get outside. We want to go and travel. We want to see the world and have these other. experiences. And so once we started living well below our means, it opened up all these doors of opportunity. And it was completely accidental. Mm-hmm. Sarah and I were joking last night that it was really the first time we had read any articles on being minimalist. (laughs) It really had. It's kind of like there's a lot of people that we talk to who say, yeah, I was overlanding before I even knew what it was. Well, we were minimalist before we even knew what it was. Yeah. Like I just kept calling it downsizing. Right. We were just downsizing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think I had already kind of had this idea that for as small as minimalist as you want to call this, that when I bought a new piece of clothing and I put it in my closet, I took an old piece of clothing out and Mm. donated it. Like I wasn't going to just keep racks on racks of things that I wasn't wearing. What was the point? You know? So even just tiny things like that are tiny steps towards what you can call a minimalist lifestyle. Right. And it wasn't just the financial side of things that brought us to this decision this Mm -hmm. lifestyle change kind of as all this was going on with, you know, the job contract and stuff coming to a close and selling the home and and things like that over the course of that one or two year period, you know, I I lost both my granddads Mm -hmm. to cancer and I was very close to both of them. My one granddad, the story about the snake. (laughs) Yeah. We literally spent every day together for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. every day together working on the farm and and you know it, that was that was the hardest loss i had ever experienced and so you know it definitely makes you reflect on on life and i was thinking about how they impacted my life by spending time with me and i looked at how little time i was spending with caroline mm-hmm. and definitely got the wheels going about well, what's the most important thing in life mm-hmm. And, you know, here's two granddads who worked so hard their whole lives. And when they got to that point where they could have went and traveled or or done all these things that they had kind of talked about doing for years, it got interrupted by cancer and it just, it just stopped. So, you know, we started having these conversations of what are we going to look back on? Mm -hmm. You know, if we're laying on our deathbed, are we going to say, boy, I'm so glad that we bought that 2000 square foot home and boy, weren't those granite countertops amazing? Or remember that brand new GMC Sierra that we got? Like, that's not the things that you talk about when, when you pass away. Right. Remember all those hours that I spent at the office? That was incredible. No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be those experiences that you had with the ones that you love. And then not long after 
losing you know both of our granddads, we were also dealing with another very personal loss as well. Yeah, we had decided that we were we were going to grow our little our little family, and uh, we had two miscarriages. So, I think the first one was um, a surprise and disappointing because our pregnancy with Caroline was a dream. Um, and then the second one I think was kind of a, a gut punch, you know, like how can this happen again? Kind of, kind of deal. And so I think, you know, we were kind of starting to evaluate, you know, um, if this is our family, what are we going to do with our family? What are we going to do with Caroline and you and me? And what were we going to, to have and, and have an experience wise as well. So, um, I think it, um, all, all of those things caused a lot of introspective very, very quickly because this was all within a year and a half of each other. Everything right. was stacked on top of each other. So, um, I think it definitely made me evaluate, okay, like what does my motherhood look like? You know, how do I want to spend my time with you and with Caroline and, um, and how, you know, where were we going to do that too? So, yeah. And so with all of these emotional gut punches that we'd been through mm-hmm. and having come out of the stress of having an expensive home and, and bills and stuff like that and all this reevaluation that, again, it was unintentional, mm-hmm. but it was also one of the biggest blessings of our life was to look back at what we were focused on and say that we want to be more intentional mm-hmm. about where we go from here. Right. And not continue to pursue these things that are just kind of the social norms. Right. We wanted to go and experience something different. Yeah. And so I just want to stop at this point and say, you know, if you're listening to this and, and if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling like, well, how do I go about doing this as well? Like, this is just our story. Right. This isn't us saying everyone needs to go through this or everyone needs to sell everything and travel. We're we're not saying that. Mm-mm. This is just the path that our life has taken us along. Right. And it's been an incredible one. It's been... Challenging. Extremely hard to get to this point. But we also want to say that you need to consider where you're headed in your life right now and decide if that's truly what you desire Mm -hmm. and be intentional about your next steps. And the reason I think this discussion is so poignant is just in this time right now, we're we're talking to a lot of different ranges of people and incomes and backgrounds. And and now, you know, you might be dealing with a whole new struggle. Mm -hmm. This is all to say that through our darkest time in our life with the losses that we experienced and the transitions that we made, the other side of that turned out to be absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it was worth the struggle and the pain to get through that, to go and have experiences that we've had and and to see the things that we had, that we have seen. And so I just want to be encouraging through this whole story, no matter what you're going through, it's going to get better. Yeah. It's going to get better. You just have to stay after it. And so, you know, this all comes back around to this question that we get constantly is, you know, how do we afford 
this lifestyle. And, you know, we're, we're old fashioned in that we're not going to go into detail and say, oh, we make X amount of money doing this and X amount of money doing that. The message here is that you have to be intentional Mm -hmm. about your passion and your pursuit. And so the first step in doing that is minimizing your expenses. Right. And then maximizing your income where you can. Right. The fundamental background of minimalism, per se, is maximizing passion. And that's going to take sacrifice and trade off to pursue things that you're interested in. Exactly. And I think it's also having, you need to have a clear idea or picture of what your interest is or your passion is or what your core value is Mm -hmm. before you ever start initially doing this right you know and then you can start taking the practical steps towards whether that be like financial freedom or learning a new skill set to be able to you know make more money or something like that you know right right so it, it's really it's really not about becoming a minimalist as much as it is about becoming an intentionalist intentionalist yeah like this is what I want to work towards and so it's not going to be easy you're going to have to make sacrifices there's going to be trade-offs but in the end, if that's what you're truly passionate about, you're going to be so much more satisfied with your life mm-hmm. living those things out that, that you so desire. Yeah. So you invest in your experiences by reducing your expenses. So if you're living in a four-bedroom house and there's only two of you. Mm-hmm. Consider. Consider. <laughs> downsizing. Exactly. You know, I've had a lot of people make the assumption that we're just filthy, stinking rich because they look at you know, our trailer and you look at our rig and they're like, oh my gosh, how do you afford all of this? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, what do you live in? Oh, I've got a 2,500 square foot house. I've got a, you know, 2,500 Dodge Cummins, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, how do you afford to go and do all of this? And and it's it's the what versus the end. Right. So what do you have? Most people assume you have a house, mm-hmm. one or two car payments, all of these other things. And so when they see what we're doing, they think it's an and. and. They think it's an addition to all of those typical expenses that people live with nowadays. And that's not the case. Right. That is our only expenses. Mm-hmm. And so it's taken years to get to the point where that's where we are from a financial standpoint and from just our specific goals. Mm-hmm. Like one thing I can't help but think about right now all of a sudden is how you know, 10 years ago, our goal was that we wanted to own. We wanted to own land. We wanted to own our home. We wanted to have our cars paid off and, you know, all of these things. We wanted to own it. And now we're like, what can we get rid of? (laughs) (laughs) What do we not want to really own? You know, like, I mean, eventually we'll probably own a home again. Sure. But right now we want to own our experiences we want to own our family time, you know, mm-hmm. and we can do that while renting very small or minimally mm-hmm. or, you know, living out of the turtle back in the forerunner, right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting to see that mind shift of over so many years of how, you know, we thought we were going to own this and own that. Right. And now we're owning memories. That's right. Over physical things. Well, and I, it's like Peter with Epic Family Road Trip put it so poignantly in one of our recent videos is you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that is that is really the sum and substance of it is 
we as a society, we value amazing jobs and the money that comes with them. And then, you know, we creep our lifestyle to expand what we can afford, but at what expense? Right. You know, and in that we have to remember that there's multiple people listening right now in different places in mm-hmm. their lives. So you might be, you might've been making minimum wage at a fast food restaurant and now you don't have a job at all. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're listening to this going, there is no way in heck I am ever going to be able to go out there and, and travel and explore and, and do it to the level that I really want to at this, right. at this stage. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the people who are making you know, money hand over fist, but boy, you know, they're... They're working 70-hour work weeks. Exactly. And... They, they're, they don't have... They, they might have the funds, but they hardly have the time. Yeah. And then, you know, we've got the other people in the kind of in the middle where it's... These are families that are kind of ingrained in their commitments to soccer and, and school and all these things. So to travel on a grand scale seems very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. To go and pursue these experiences seems almost impossible to the level that we kind of portray in what we do. Right. And so I just want to say that for those who are listening right now who are, who are in one of those positions, it's all about baby steps. Yes. It's all about keeping things achievable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take it to extremes right out of the gate. You no. don't have to have a brand new vehicle. You don't have to have a trailer. You could literally go to Walmart right now, spend a hundred bucks and get some decent camping gear. Yep. To go and have fun. The main thing is to get outside and, and to start yeah. doing it. Now, for those of you who have wanted to move towards traveling full time, like what, what we do, and that's that's where I'm coming to with this whole minimalist slash intentionalist lifestyle is put together a five-year plan. Right. Imagine yourself putting together a plan where the first four years of this plan, you're going to take every opportunity every step to expand your capabilities, to learn new trades, to learn new skills, to find income streams that you can do remotely or that can operate passively, mm-hmm. or you're just going to work every single shift of overtime possible for the next four years. Mm-hmm. To save money. To save up. And then on the fifth year, that's your year mm-hmm. that you, you you quit your job or you tell your boss, hey. I'm working remotely. I'm working remotely. These are the skill sets that I've put together. Maybe it means a a career shift, a career change. Mm -hmm. But put together that plan and imagine yourself five years from now of taking advantage of every possible opportunity to change Mm -hmm. your career and your mindset, reduce your debt, reduce your expenses, maximize your income. And you would be surprised what just four short years can do for you. Definitely. You know, when we first started this, we didn't just dive off the deep end. I had a background in electrical construction. Yep. I had safety nets in place. Mm-hmm. I had, we had a nest egg in the bank account. I've had people who message me and say, hey, I'm quitting my job next week. I'm going to travel full time. How do you guys do it? Whoa. Yeah. Please don't quit your job. You do that. <laughs> Stop right there. Yeah. Stop right there. Don't just dive off. Have a plan, be intentional, have safety nets, have backups. You know, if I have to, if this YouTube thing dried up tomorrow, I still have an active IBEW journeyman wireman ticket and I can go work anywhere in the country. Yep. I can get my tools out. I'm not like, I'm fine with that. I can Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. 
you got to have those pieces in place so that if you do make that transition and, and become a full-time traveler, you have to have those pieces in place in case something different something happens. happens. Maybe you get sick in the mm-hmm. first six months or, or you got to fall back on something. So don't be reckless about this. Right. Work on that four-year plan. Plan on that amazing fifth year. And maybe, maybe you only travel for a year. Mm-hmm. But when you're lying on your deathbed years from now, looking back, are you going to be thinking about the cars, the TVs, the brand new iPhones? No. No. You're going to be thinking about those experiences with the people that you love. I got to see the Grand Canyon with my kids. and The people that you met along the way. Yeah. Like, I, you know, just thinking back on the people that we've run into <laughs> and the relationships that's come from it. Pam and Stewie from Australia. Yep. Um, Jessica, Jessica and Jorge. And Jorge like, uh, Jason with Primal Outdoors. Like, we've met some of the coolest, most amazing now friends mm-hmm. through these adventures and stuff. And so, again, I'm not saying to get yourself overwhelmed with this. I'm just telling you our story, our experiences, and we're telling you it is worth the effort if you're willing to pursue that. If Mm -hmm. that's something that is in your heart that you just know you desire and you're passionate about, start today. Mm -hmm. And a great example of that is um, our friends Forerunner for Adventure. Uh Um, They took... um, I don't remember, two or three years or something like that. I think it was almost two years. Almost two years to save and save and plan and plan. And then they quit jobs Uh and traveled south and their forerunner and went into South America and everything and took a whole year doing that. And they're, they're such a prime example of doing whatever it takes to scrimp and save and Mm -hmm. plan exactly what they wanted to do. And they, they did just that. That's exactly right. And it, you know, if, if you do get in a position where, you know, after you've spent those four years and you've gotten into the group of things, you know, the way that we operate. So, so just to answer that question as to how we afford it is we're not just on YouTube. If we were relying on YouTube for our income, <laughs> y'all, we would be, we would be broke. YouTube is so crazy with their algorithms. You know, I, I've seen my views go up by 20% and my revenue go down by 80 in the same month. Mm-hmm. It's unpredictable. Right. YouTube will not, I mean, some people have made it on YouTube. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's the 1%. It's, it's not a significant number of people that are right. on YouTube. It's very, very few. And so what you have to have is multiple income streams. And so, yep. you know, we manage several different social media accounts for different outdoor brands. You know, we developed our merchandise store, which is now, as of this year, become like its own entity, entity, its own company. Like we're we're going to be, we are employing someone to manage all of that and expand its own brand. Yeah. So that so that it can continue to grow. And I make it sound like it's some multi-million company. Like, we're <laughs> we make, literally just started. <laughs> we're literally making hundreds of dollars a month. <laughs> it's incredible, but it could grow into something. And mm-hmm. it's those micro income streams that you that you develop. The big one for us, though, the number one thing by far is our patrons. Yes. So these are people who watch us on YouTube and go. I like what these people are doing. I am tired of paying money for satellite. I'm tired of paying money for cable. I just want to watch what. What they're I doing. really want to watch. And mm-hmm. so the patron platform has just grown exponentially for a lot of different creators. Mm-hmm. And so, 
yeah, thank you again to, to all the patrons who, who support what we do. It's because of you that we can continue to do this and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and so that's that's really the the bulk of it. We have a few affiliate programs. Um, so like if you see us give out a discount code, generally, not every time, but generally, there's like a small percentage of that that comes back to us as a commission for, you know, helping show that that product and test that product right. and, and recommend that product and stuff like that. Um, they don't pay us to say it's good. It has to be good first. Yes. Just as we a have to like it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're not gonna push something just because. Um, but it's all those little things working together that when you you start putting them all in a basket, you go, oh okay. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, okay. Well, what's my bills this month? Oh, it's hardly anything. It's over here. Right. So um, that's really that's really the secret to it all mm-hmm. is changing that skill set, finding those remote things that you can do. And reducing those expenses. Right. And you would be amazed, even if you don't do it to travel. Right. Even, you just even want if a you simpler have, way of life. Yeah. If, if even if you're you're not even interested in camping full time, you just like watching the show and you like hearing us talk about our, our backgrounds. Just imagine right now if you cut your expenses in half, what you could do with those hobbies and pastimes that you enjoy. Absolutely. You so have that, so much more time. Yeah, so this applies to to everyone. We're so caught up in this social cycle of lifestyle creep. And we're living, they say that 8 out of 10 Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Wow. 8 out of 10. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine how much easier you would breathe if you knew you could lose a job and be okay for six months? Yeah. So think of it in that way. If it's not about the travel for you, just think about how your life could change if you step back and said, I can be a bit more intentional about what I do. Right. And enhance and enrich my life because I'm not pursuing the things everyone else says I need to pursue Mm -hmm. or social media says I need to pursue or the advertisements say I need to pursue. Let's be intentional about life. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's not forever. Right. Yeah. Like, like I had said before, when I said I was, when we were going to move into the camper, I was like, I can do anything for a little while. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not forever. This doesn't have to be for forever. You can do anything for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) But the memories and experiences that you can walk away with are life changing. Absolutely. Life changing. Mm -hmm. So, well, babe, looks like the campfire's down to coals again. We've talked this one to death. (laughs) (laughs) I know this has been a very different podcast. I know that it's, uh, it might be, might even be painful right now. And, uh, we only say it with the best of intentions. We only say it to, to challenge you to think about life in a Mm -hmm. new, new way as we're all sitting here contemplating how we got to where we are and where we're going next. Mm -hmm. And so we wish you guys the best. Absolutely. Um, all you guys who are still going hard out there, all those essential people keeping keeping the country going, thank you so much for what you do. Mm-hmm. For those of you guys who are sitting home, stick with it, guys. We're going to get through it. Now's the time to plan. Now's the time to get ready for the next steps. Right, absolutely. Such a poignant time to really evaluate your passions, your core values, 
Absolutely. And what you want to be intentional with after this. Because we're not going to come out the same. Right. We're not going to go back to normal. This We're, we're all going to be a little bit different. We're all going to be a little bit different. And it's going to take courage. You know, no matter what circumstance you're in right now, it's, it's going to take some courage for those next steps if you want to go down this path. You know, I always think about this uh, quote by Theodore Roosevelt. And it says... It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred by sweat and by dust and by blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best in the end knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known neither victory nor defeat. That was deep. Yeah. That was deep. People are going to love us or hate us now. Yeah. But you know what? If anything, I could potentially see like a whole other podcast coming out of this, like people asking questions and or commenting or wanting a further explanation of something I could see. Absolutely. Because it's, you're dealing with so many variables when it comes to people in different life situations. Right. And so to try and suggest various first steps in, oh, yeah. in a single podcast to a myriad of different situations and circumstances is just impossible. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown down. Right. You know, and I think that maybe that sounds bad. It's it's not like a in a way it is a gauntlet because it is a challenge. But mm-hmm. in another way, it's coming up alongside you and putting your arm around the shoulder and saying, "How are you? Yeah. How's life? Is it going the way you want it to?" If not, if not, even if it's come crumbling down around you in this crazy time, maybe this is the time to pick yourself back up from the ashes and go a totally different direction mm-hmm. with a totally different mindset. Yeah. Maybe you've told yourself you'll never get yourself in this financial position again. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, then what are you going to do to make that not happen? Exactly. You know? Or 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 maybe you're the one who's who's worked thousands of hours to build something and then watch it crumble down around them right now. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, what was all that for? You know, like I told my son or my daughter, no, a thousand times I'm not going camping this weekend or I'm not doing this with you because I have to go and do da da da. Right. When you're laying on your deathbed, how are you going to look back at that conversation? Mm-hmm. We only get one shot at all this. Yep. Let's make it count. That's right. Let's live. Do our very best. Absolutely. So. All right, guys. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've been inspired and challenged. I hope you don't hate us too much now. (laughs) (laughs) Because we love you, and that's why we bring it up. Right. So. We hope you're doing amazing wherever you are in this world. Hope you're staying healthy. And we will catch you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm. Safe travels.